let me try and summarize the heart of what is happening here. Jesus is saying that he is a very different kind of king. And he is calling us to a very different way to confront evil in our world. And you could summarize it by saying we should not take revenge. Jesus is saying there is a better way, but that better way is more costly and it's certainly unbelievably countercultural. Now, let me say at the beginning that this uh, little passage in Matthew is not about war. This is about personal relationships. Uh, there is something called the Christian just war tradition that has some wonderful and very strong things to say about when a war is just and righteous and when it's not. And uh, those things all flow out of something that's incredibly important, and that is the call to love our neighbor. And the Christian just war tradition uh, would want us both to love our wronged neighbor, so in a sense to stand in solidarity, uh, solidarity alongside somebody who is being wronged, but also love our neighbor who is an aggressor. So we can, if we apply that to what is happening in Ukraine and in Russia, we are called to love our sisters and brothers in Ukraine. We are also called to love our sisters and brothers in Russia. That may well mean that we use force to resist evil, but it also means that we are to take the higher road, which is to love the people that are doing the evil and not to descend, if we possibly can, into hatred or into damning and condemning them. But that's the Christian just war tradition. This is much more about personal relationships. And Jesus begins this section by quoting an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And uh, that theory, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, is sometimes summarized as the lex talionis, uh, the law of just retribution. And it's worth stopping just for a moment to think about an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, because it is not always uh, completely understood. It gets a bad press. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is sort of as brutal and bloodthirsty. But we need to remember that it wasn't. So, an eye for an eye was legal guidance for the court. It wasn't for private individuals, and it was expressly designed to stop people taking the law into their own hands. So, the way an eye for an eye was applied was that it was, that was something that the court had to bear in mind. It wasn't an instruction for me to go and gouge out your eye if we had something uh, that was conflict between us. Secondly, an eye for an eye is specifically designed to limit revenge. Its purpose is to avoid conflict escalating. You know the scenario. You look funny at my sister. I beat you up. Your cousin cuts my hand off. My cousin kills your father. And so things escalate and escalate and escalate. An eye for an eye is specifically designed to stop conflict escalating. 
An eye for an eye is also about equality. My eye is worth the same as your eye. Or, more importantly, the king's eyes or a rich person's eyes are worth as much as a peasant's eyes. So the rich and the powerful can't say, I want compensation uh, much bigger than the original offense because of who I am. An eye for an eye was always understood metaphorically. It was a picture to help the courts decide on fair compensation. Teeth were not knocked out. Eyes were not gouged out in keeping this law. It was always understood to be a legal guide to fair compensation. So if you killed someone's ox, it would be right that you replaced that ox. That was how the law worked. In Leviticus 19, we read this, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. So fascinating that one of the times that love your neighbor comes in the Bible, it's specifically paired with the commands not to seek revenge. Now, as with other parts on the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been seeing over the previous weeks, Jesus is calling us, in a sense, both back to God's original intention, do not take revenge, but also in the light of the kind of king that Jesus is, Jesus is calling us to a better way. You can see how a sensible Old Testament law about appropriate retribution can become a charter for personal revenge, i.e., if someone hurts me, I'm going to hurt them back. And there's not a single person in this room who hasn't deeply desired to hurt someone back when you have been hurt. Jesus then gives four examples of what he's talking about. We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at what Jesus meant and how we might live this out. But in verse 39 of Matthew 5, he says simply, don't resist an evil person, or maybe don't take revenge. All four examples that Jesus gives feature someone who's trying to cheat us or hurt us or humiliate us. What they are doing is acting with evil intent towards us. So Jesus is being very realistic about some of our human experience. But we need to listen so carefully. Jesus is not calling us passively to surrender to such evil behavior. So this is not saying be a doormat. And yet that has often how Jesus is misrepresented. Nietzsche, for instance, mocks Jesus for his weakness or what Nietzsche called his slave morality. Jesus doesn't call us to passively surrender to evil. He calls us to active initiative to overcome evil with good and to seek the redemption of the person who hurts us. 
Now, we're going to focus on the first and arguably the most famous of Jesus' four examples, Matthew 5, 39. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, bear with me here. What I'd like you to do is to turn to the person next to you or near you. And what I need you to do is I need you to work out the mechanics of how... Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. I want you to work out the mechanics, like work it out in your head. How would you slap them, assuming you're right-handed, how would you slap them on the right cheek? So just look at them and work out how to do it. Okay? Okay. So, I hope you've all worked it out. The, the only way, if you're right-handed, that you can slap them on the right cheek is by using the back of your hand. So, I mean, don't do it, but it's, it's, it's that, isn't it? It's that. So, the Will Smith slap was that way on Chris Rock. This is a backhanded slap like that. Even in our culture, let alone Jesus' culture, that is deeply rude. It's not designed primarily to inflict pain. It's designed to belittle. And it's designed to humiliate. It's designed to communicate our disdain of the other people. Now, imagine you are the person administering the slap, this backhanded slap. What would happen, just try and picture it in your mind, what would happen if the person that you so high-handedly slapped with the back of your hands, what would happen if they refound their focus and they breathed out and they slowly turned their left cheek to you as if to say, well, go on then, slap me again. What are they saying to you in that moment? And what are you forced to think through or to see differently? Here's what I think is going on. Number one, they are saying, I am not going to hit you back. I'm not going to pay you back tit for tat revenge. We're not going to play, you slap me, I slap you. So in that sense, we're not going to get into... a a crudely understood eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Secondly, though, by offering them the chance to slap you again, they're helping you to see exactly what you've done because you've got to replay it in your mind. And they're offering you the chance as the slapper to see how cruel and disdainful you have been. Thirdly, they have turned the tables on you. You you meant the original slap to humiliate or belittle or intimidate them. And yet here they are. They are taking control of the situation. And it is really unsettling for you. Fourthly, it might, it might infuriate you further as the slapper 
because they have neither curled up in a ball nor have they hit you back, which is probably the, one of the two responses that you were anticipating. Instead, they've done something courageous and they've done something strong. And lastly, they've left you a way out. As the person who's, who did the slap, you now have the opportunity to see what you've done and to apologize and make amends. You hurt them, they gave you a second chance. Now, have a look down at the next three in your own time and work out how Jesus is applying the same principle. It's a call not to take personal revenge, but actively to overcome evil with good. The third um, situation is very poignant. It's about a degrading act of colonial exploitation. A Roman soldier in Jesus' time had the right to force a Jewish man or a Jewish woman to carry their equipment along the road for one mile. Now imagine how humiliating that was uh, for Jewish women and Jewish men. Uh, I guess we could maybe imagine a similar thing uh, in uh, when uh, parts of Europe were occupied uh, by the Nazis in the Second World War. Jesus says, in that circumstance, turn the tables on the soldier by offering them a second mile after the first. Then you show them you are not a humiliated slave, but you are setting the agenda. You are not ultimately under their dodgy authority, but you are under the authority of another king altogether, a king of love and a king of second chances. Now Jesus gives us these word pictures to help us see how not to take personal revenge on the people who hurt us or wish us harm. Let me try and summarize what he's saying. He is saying, firstly, if someone hurts us, humiliates us, belittles us, we are not to take tit-for-tat revenge. It doesn't mean that in the right circumstances we wouldn't seek the redress of the courts. So in a sense to put it in the hands of impartial justice. But on a personal level, we are not to take tit-for-tat revenge. Otherwise, our behavior is dictated by the person who wishes us ill. And in those moments, we can choose to be either a passive echo of evil, simply bouncing it back, or we can choose a courageous retort of love. Secondly, in those moments, we are choosing not to descend into a vicious cycle of retribution. We choose the weapons, we choose the unfamiliar, uncomfortable ground of engagement, aiming to overcome evil with good. We choose if we possibly can, the active resistance of love. Thirdly, we are choosing to offer the chance of redemption to the person who wrongs us, to show that even in that moment, we can visualize them as a restored friend, not a sworn enemy.
So even in the moment, we are showing, we are offering, we are mentally seeing them as someone who could go back or could become a restored friend rather than a sworn enemy. Now, as we finish, you are probably thinking that is the most naive, idealistic pile of tosh you've heard coming out of a vicar for a long time. You know, you've heard some, you've heard some cheesy stuff, but this just absolutely takes the biscuit. Consider one last thing. Not only is there great beauty that we have seen in the lives of people who've picked up the sentiment and the heart of what Jesus is teaching here. And not only do we maybe have a deeper understanding in certain ways of how bitterness and the desire for revenge rots us on the inside. It's kind of toxic waste for the human soul. Much more importantly, we just need to remember that Jesus lived out the words that he preached. We need to understand Jesus' cross not as an act of passive compliance, as though Jesus simply sort of lays himself out as the doormat of the universe. No. Jesus' cross is an act of revolutionary love to win us back. He wants us as friends, not as enemies. That's what he was doing on the cross. Today, as we remember so many acts of courage and self-sacrifice on the battlefield, we remember that every single one of us is caught up at some level in the battle between good and evil. And each of us will face choices this week, next week, next month, where we have to respond in some way to evil or humiliation or attempts to belittle us. What he is asking, what he is saying is the best way is that with Jesus as our king, we dare, we dare in those moments to overcome evil with good. So good is the first thing that we reach for in those moments. We dare to overcome evil with love and forgiveness. We dare to overcome evil with courage. And even in the heat of those moments, we hold on to the hope of redemption. Redemption for the people who wish us harm. Amen.